0: well hi everyone and welcome to alzheimer speaks radio i'm your host laurie lebay and i'm thrilled you're joining us uh if you are new to our show alzheimer speaks is about sound information not just sound bites we like to have real conversations with real people at all different levels all around the world and so today we're going to be talking about a journey of a lifetime a father and a son living with dementia um Bike Across Dementia, I should say the father has dementia and uh, and his son accompanied him with this Bike Across Dementia. But before I introduce uh, our guests, I always like to do a little bit of a shout out. And first, I want to always shout out to the band, um, Mark Arneson's band, who allows us to play Clarion um, Clarion Call, which is our opening music. I just love that song. And you can go ahead and download that on any of your um platforms that you choose to listen to music to. Um, For those of you that aren't aware, Alzheimer's Speaks has updated their website, so you have to check it out. It's much easier to maneuver. We have one whole page dedicated to a variety of free resources. One of them is Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory, which is free to use, and you don't have to sign in with an account, Um, but you can access our radio show Dementia chats, uh, quick tips, get information about becoming dementia friendly or memory cafes, um, and also various programs out there. uh, Such as uh, September 20th, I'm going to be doing a program for artists senior living called Realities of Dementia, and that's going to be family friendly tips and tools. And then on October 31st, I'll be out in Minnetonka for a live event. Uh, which is open to the public. And we're going to do a screening of A Timeless Love with a talk back which is uh, just a fabulous, fabulous uh, Hollywood film about dementia. And don't forget to check out like Saltbox TV. That was uh, That's a free online streaming service that was designed specifically for seniors. So not only do you have the old TV shows and movies, but there's all kinds of health and wellness and great, great educational information there as well, and if you're looking for support groups on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month at one o'clock uh, Central Time, which would be two o'clock Eastern Time, I do one uh, sponsored by Arthur's uh, Arthur's Senior Care, and we've got people from Belgium and New Jersey. We're located here primarily in Minnesota, but anyone is welcome to join us. And then if you are in Minnesota on the last Wednesday of the month at Ten o'clock central. We do a caregiver connect, which is sponsored by Brookdale Senior Living of North Oaks. Uh, so lots of lots of great information to be had um, that you can access. We are going to hear from the footbar about the footbar walker from the adaptive equipment and caregiving corner, and then I'm going to introduce you to our guest today. We'll be right back.
2: I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients or therapists adapting to client and caregiver specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the footbar walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it.
0: Well, we are back, and we are going to be talking about this uh, father and son journey biking across America. And I am thrilled to have Carrie Lola with us, who is a um, educational leader and author of uh, co- author of Conversations Across America. And I have to apologize because I am just stumbling over my words today, and I know it's because I have not eaten yet, <laughs> and I should know better. Um, his book is about a father and son journey of a lifetime. They spent seventy three days and they went forty six hundred miles biking across the country back in uh, twenty fifteen. And Kari and his seventy five year old dad, Merv, who had early uh, early stage Alzheimer's, explored explored the world and their relationship on this journey. So. Uh, I do also want to remind people that we are live today so if you have questions in your in your listening live please feel free to call in that number is 232-870-4602 uh, that is uh 323 and Kari I'm just thrilled to hear this story so welcome today
3: Thank you so much for having me, Lori, and thank you for all of the wonderful work you're doing to make the world a little better.
0: Well, it takes all of us working together, you know, to push things forward. And I think when you are personally touched, you you know, you you don't you kind of like you don't know what you don't know until all of a sudden you know it. And then you see where all the missing um parts are and where the cracks are (laughs) in the sidewalk and and where they need to be filled and it's been just such a pleasure on my journey to meet so many others um like yourself who are have done something special to kind of fill fill those gaps so you know I mentioned that your dad had early onset Um, if you can give us a little bit more background maybe on that and then also were there others in in your family or circle of friends that were also dealing with some form of dementia
3: yeah, so so my first experience uh, with Alzheimer's was my grandfather, and so my grandfather had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's at the time. And so this is you know twenty, 20 years prior, and I was a um, high school senior, and my grandparents came out to visit us. We were in Oregon; they were in Illinois. And my actually, sorry, this was a as a freshman in high, in high school, um, and I have very clear memories of my grandfather coming. And he would, my my grandmother would shepherd him around, and um, and he was um, very polite, but it literally was like um, talking with a polite six year old. He had no knowledge of who I was, and um, uh, and so that was my first exposure. And he passed three years later, and there was a very, you know, we weren't nearby, but my grandfather and or my grandmother endured a lot, and and I would hear kind of the story afterwards, um, uh, trying to be the primary care, caregiver as long as she could. And so my dad always had that in his mind that, you know, hey, okay, this is hereditary, can be likely hereditary. And so he was um, trying to do everything he could to um, avoid that um, through kind of healthy lifestyle. Um, but at a certain point, about 2012, um, a few years before this trip in 2015, um, my dad, we were meeting, again, we were in the Midwest and the um, he mentioned that he had just had a CAT scan uh, of his brain and they had said it shrunk significantly. And, um, and they said, uh, you know, they they didn't say early stage Alzheimer's. They used a euphemism and said, you've got mild cognitive impairment. Uh, But, but clearly that was, um, we were heading in a certain direction. And so Mm -hmm. over those next few years started to see a number of symptoms, um, you know, Kind of behavioral changes and and, uh, um, and and family friends growing concerns around Merv. Um, he was living independently at the time at a, the, the home uh, at home um, in Eugene, Oregon. Um, but there was a, 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 a grow, growing alarms and concerns uh, around that. This is all prior to the trip in 2015.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's spooky when you've got somebody living alone on top of it because, you know, how is that monitored? Are they seeing and feeling any of that? Are there people around them that um, can really stay on top of it? I know my mom, you know, my mom and dad were married, but man, she could hide it good. You know, she could yep. really step up to the plate and... um you know my brothers are like she's fine she's fine and my dad and i are like no not so much there's something going on here yeah and, and it wasn't until things got you know a really major that uh that yep. they were willing to to see that and so it, it gets yeah. really really tricky for sure yeah
3: and you know two i think that that monitoring is really important just two two quick notes on that number one is um you know, the One of the benefits of doing this trip was it was going – since I had been living in New York, my sister was away in Hong Kong. And so we would see uh, my dad for brief visits, but we weren't there you know, day in, day out, um, monitoring everything. And so – and since he didn't live with anyone, again, there's no kind of tight oversight. And so this trip mm-hmm. was going to give me a chance to see really 24-7 because rarely would we be more than 10 feet apart um, – And for, you know, more than 70 days straight, I knew that this was going to be an incredible chance for me to see up close with my own eyes, make my own judgments of where he was um, with all of this. And then one other uh, note, which is you talk about kind of fooling those around. I had to laugh. um, You know, this is about a year after the trip there. And and, and you'll know these and forgive my, uh, you know, the the kind of the standard um, dementia tests that they administer. There's a a couple Mm -hmm. of them. Uh, he, Merv kept passing all these things, and my 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 mom, who's uh, Merv's ex spouse, my sister and I, and a couple of other, we were like, huh, and it's like this doesn't make sense. He keeps passing, but we're seeing all this stuff, <laughs> and, and and finally, finally, the main doctor um, said, you know, what? He, he he said, hey, I wanted to let you know, I've, I've administered this test this time. I did it myself because Merv had such, you know, I think he had such a, a developed executive functioning that basically he was he knew how to beat the test and and uh, fool the staff and it yeah. happened for like two years and mm-hmm. so he's like I finally administered this myself and uh, I was like oh yeah we're revoking his license
1: you know
3: mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> and, uh, but I you know just again it's such a reminder of that you know that you, people can fool folks in short conversations. And um, so anyways, uh, yeah, that, I think that's so important to get a real read on where people are.
0: Well, and it can be so hard. I remember, you know, with my mom, she was really having difficulty and, and back then, you know, this was almost 35 years ago now. And uh, she kept bringing, bringing it up to her doctor cause she was concerned and he just kept poo-pooing it off to her hormones. And then finally, when she did do a test, all they did was the 10-question test, and she had a great day, and she came out like a yeah. peacock because she told them a couple yeah. of colors of Crayola that they didn't even know, you know, and, and then yeah. it was like, <laughs> it's not approachable anymore.
3: Yeah. and
0: yeah. And that, you know, that hurt us as a family because they didn't do yeah. enough testing, and then it was like 10 yeah. years later before we could get her back in, and my dad by then had been diagnosed with... Brain cancer, and and then it was yeah. just totally horrendous because she failed horribly two half days yep. of testing and came out like a wet noodle and didn't want to live. I mean, she just it was it was horrible. And so, yeah. you know, I encourage people to get in earlier, um, but to really push for adequate testing. And it's hard because when you're when you're new to all of this, you just assume the doctors know what they're doing. And what is needed and so many of them really don't. You have to get to a a neurologist that really specializes in dementia and has a team to support. In in my personal opinion, that's what I think anyways.
1: Yeah, Uh, absolutely.
0: So you know what inspired you to you to go on this journey with your dad? You said, well, you wanted to really get a feel. But I'm I'm sitting back thinking, oh my gosh, what a way to find out! You know, when you're biking across the country, that maybe this isn't going to work um, the way yeah, I thought it yeah. was going to work. How, how did you balance yeah. that out? You know,
3: well, well, I guess so. so the first the first question about kind of the inspiration. So. We had, um, so as I mentioned, we grew up, or I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. That's where my dad lived and, and eventually passed. Um, and, uh, and we had, for since I was a kid, talked about biking across uh, the country. And okay. what I later discovered was um, that the Transamerica Bike Trail, which was set up in 1976 by an outfit that later became the Adventure Cycling Association in uh, Missoula, Montana, Um, They organized this cross-country bike ride to celebrate America's Bicentennial. And so in 1976, there were 4,000 riders from 50 states and 14 countries that started in Astoria, Oregon, and headed east to Yorktown, Virginia. And they crossed 10 states, and there's a couple hundred thousand feet of climbing, just this incredible adventure. And so uh, what I discovered, though, is that riders on that trip on, like, day two or three, they passed through Eugene. And so Merv, my dad, had seen, and yeah, I didn't remember this, but he remembered speaking with riders, seeing that. And so I think that was the initial seed in talking about doing a cross-country bike adventure. And so we were, Eugene is a very progressive place. And, and so my dad in the 70s was uh, biking to work. He was commuting to work by bike.
2: Okay. Um, and we had,
3: done, we had done a couple triathlons in, you know, 1982 and 84 before, 20 years before most people knew what that was. Um, And then we did in uh, when I was in ninth, uh, just before my ninth grade year, um, we did a three day, 300 mile ride around uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming and Yellowstone National Park.
1: Um, Mm -hmm.
3: His parents had a cabin nearby, a small cabin nearby. And so that gave us kind of this first taste of adventure um, and bike travel. And so since then, we talked about doing this cross country bike trip, but it had Never come to fruition, and came very close in 2001, right before I went to grad school, um, but it didn't happen. And so, in 2014, um, uh, actually January, February of 2015, when I was um, uh, was had uh, received an offer to for a, a, a new work opportunity, and I realized, oh, I could leave my current situation. That gives a window of about four months. Um, there's this chance that for us to finally do what we've talked about doing. And even though we know that there are, these, there are these growing concerns, alarms, et cetera, et cetera, this is probably the one chance we will have to do this, uh, follow this dream. And mm-hmm. uh, and so basically said, okay, well, let's quickly pull the trigger and what do we have to put in place to make this happen? And so we jumped into that and, uh, and in just a few weeks, um, literally got kind of got gear, um, the stuff, basic gear that we need, uh, listed my dad's house for sale. Cause that was one of the big things that we were trying to help him downsize and get out of that. Um, mm-hmm. so we uh, cleaned that, up, listed it for sale. Um, uh, and then, uh, and then I did, we did one quick test ride about a week before we were scheduled to fly back East where it was, we, we literally got the bikes and in the dark, um, we biked about, um, 15, uh, 15 miles, um, in the dark and a little bit of rain carrying a little bit of weight. And we went up one hill and my dad was smiling and all of this. And I said, okay, all right, we, we did that. Now all we need to do is do something like that about four times a day with breaks in between and we'll take it one day at a time. And so that mm-hmm. was kind of the, the test to make sure that we weren't totally crazy, um, that we could do that. And then, then pretty soon we were dipping our rear wheel in, uh, Yorktown, Virginia, and we chose to go east to west. Um, for two reasons, one is um, uh, one is we wanted to. Uh, you know, I think most people agree that the most spectacular scenery in the country is Rockies and West. Mm-hmm. Um, and then second, secondly, we wanted to end in our home state of Oregon, and so that okay. would just make it kind of that last state dessert.
0: Or you could collapse. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so we collapse in I, our home state. <laughs> if we're gonna die, we'll die in our home state. <laughs> I
0: just think, oh my gosh, that that's just such an endeavor. Um, I, I just think it's a, a just a miraculous task that you, you know, just seized and said, you know, we're going for it. And uh, I, I just think it's absolutely incredible. What's um, what is one of your favorite memories of your dad on this excursion? Do
3: you have one or two that you could share? Yeah, I mean, I mean so, so many, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I think if you, if you curve the, you know, if you were to kind of graph this journey, you've got 10 states, the first three, because we it's not like we were training for six months and preparing, we had, it was like three weeks. If we don't see this in three weeks, uh, it's not going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: so as a result, those first three states were really tough.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and so then one, and it, it wasn't clear that we were going to be able to pull this off.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: and then as we got through those first three states, suddenly it was like, huh, okay, we're still standing. And, um, and then we got, um, by the time we got to Colorado and, you know, I guess that would, that would be the, the spot where, um, Colorado is the fifth state, uh, but it also has Hoosier Pass. Um, which is uh, up over, you know, 11,500 feet, something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
3: uh, and it crosses over into Breckenridge and it, it represents the highest point on the Trans America bike trail. And so I knew that after we crossed that, we had basically something like 30,000 feet down a net 30,000 feet down to the, or 16,000, whatever, uh, down to the uh, Pacific uh, ocean. And so mm-hmm. that's where for the first, I and mean, it was like, okay, we, actually, we can pull this off and Merv can pull this off. And so I think the highlight was just um, seeing Merv, a 75-year-old um, with early stage Alzheimer's, who on any one of the 73 days could not tell you what town we started in and what town we ended in, but who was capable of pedaling slowly and steadily up a snowbank-lined mountain pass in Colorado with a smile on his face that for me was just magical wow
0: that yeah that would be that would be and it is amazing what they grasp a hold of and and how things are expressed and um yeah very very cool now what about I, I would imagine you had some pretty difficult times too um on the journey probably for yourself and for your dad. I would imagine.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean it's so so it's I mean it, it, there there are a few types of kind of major challenges. The first obviously was just a, a, a fitness challenge. Could we actually could we actually do this? And on mm-hmm. on day five, um, we just had a real hard uh reality call, reality check where we were going down the Blue Ridge Parkway and um and suddenly Merv's walking his bike, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause there's a lot of climbing that we just, we just weren't in shape for. And so, okay, that's all right. We'll adapt. Um, and so I take one of his panniers and load it up on my bike. Um, we go 10 more minutes and then Merv's walking his bike again. Oh, you know, okay. All right. We'll, we'll adapt. <laughs> and, and after about, uh, uh, three of these iterations, there's suddenly no more weight for me to take. Um, and, uh, uh, and I look like I'm carrying all of my life's possessions on my bike. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we literally stop at the side of the road and take a nap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and stopping and, and sleeping in the next like, let's just get to the next town. Um, but that was kind of the first test, major test of, okay, we, can we even pull this off? We may not even be able to do this. So, and, and, the, but the upshot is we got in better shape as we went, um, the second really was a cold factor. And this was, you know, we, in, I, in ideal circumstances, we would have started later in the year. We started on April 14th mm-hmm. uh, because I had to be uh, report for my job on, uh, by July 1st. And so that meant we were going much earlier than most people do for the cross country bike trip. And that's why we had the snow in Colorado and we had um, you know, snow and uh, uh, cold temperatures elsewhere. And so in Virginia, Ten. That was probably the closest we came to calling it quits. Um, we camped out, uh, you know, at uh, kind of a little spot there in the the, the Blue Ridge Mountains there, and uh, and the challenge was that uh, uh, Merv, um, you know, at seventy five, as many male males over forty or fifty can identify, um, had frequent trips to the bathroom,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: it's it's one thing when you're at home; it's another thing when you're in a sleeping bag in a tent. Um, and, uh, and so by the time he would unzip everything and go through this kind of obstacle course to get out, to go to the bathroom, come back, his sleeping bag was cold. And he did that multiple times during the night. And so that morning on day 10, he was, just he had gotten an awful night of sleep, just shivering. And, um, and we took a basically a rest 20 hours in this next town, but that, that was the closest we came to throwing in the towel. when we realized, okay, well, one of our, you know, adapting moves will be, even if it breaks our budget, we will, if the temperature is going to be below 48, that was kind of the threshold I figured, mm-hmm. um, we'll stay in a little motel, whatever we got to do, because that will keep us alive. So keep keep the the, the trip alive. And so that was another um, hard challenge. And, and then there's the, the, the bigger challenge of uh, Alzheimer's and understanding really on, you know, from day one, okay, what are these additional challenges that we're going to face because of the Alzheimer's? And so that, you know, there was everything from the, you know, confusion place and time. And suddenly is Merv going to wander off and, Oh my gosh, I've lost him already. Um, there was uh, you know, on day four, he comes out of the, uh, the, 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 bathroom in the morning, ready to ready to start the day. And he's got his Lycra shorts on completely inside out. And there's this bright red padded crotch, you know, kind of screaming like mm-hmm. a bullseye. And that's, mm-hmm. so I'm like, Oh, okay. All right. Dad. Hey, let's, let's. I make him aware of his fashion blunder. And we, uh, and you know we get them squared away, but uh, but there were a number of things like that where it was clear that there were going to be some additional challenges than just an ordinary difficult bike challenge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, when you then then would, said oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: Well, well and then I was going to say, and then and then I'd probably be the 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 uh, the fast forward then. Was you know if you go through the ten states, the first seven states really it was like okay it was focused a lot of just logistics okay can we do let's get to the next town this that uh, and so there weren't a lot of other what I call deeper conversations but by the time we got to Idaho the next to last state now we were in a little rhythm and we it was like okay we've got this and so we were starting to have a chance to have um, some deeper conversations. And, uh and during that time Merv's house um uh, that we had listed for sale just prior to departing um received an offer and mm-hmm. so we then sold that and when I shared the news uh, with Merv um yeah, it, that triggered a whole series of some tough conversations um you know and and I think people that that um that are in these in these shoes there's there's a certain kind of Volatility, rationality that comes up um, uh, with folks in, with Alzheimer's. And, you know, when I shared that news that, again, we had planned for this, et cetera, he, he, the direct quote was, uh, oh, so, so you want to uh, lock me in a cage and throw away the key? That was the mm-hmm. verbatim quote uh, as we're peddling along. And so um. we started to have some conversation. And 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 I can go through that in more detail, but basically over the next week, then we had some really difficult, but then some good, healthy conversations trying to talk about Alzheimer's and what kind of these next, where he was, what these next steps were. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, gosh, I can't, I can't even imagine being on the trip and the stress that you have and then selling the house and having to deal with that. And then the conversations, I mean, I remember and this this is minute compared to what you were dealing, but just uh, it took me three months to convince my mom not to wear a bra because we tried all different types of bras and she couldn't hook yep. it and she and she was getting so frustrated. We tried the hooks in the front and the back and the you know over yeah. and, you know yep. all kinds of stuff and she was livid, just livid over that. I can't even yep. imagine if we were dealing with her home, on on how yeah. that would have gone over because sometimes they just you know, she she would just hold on to sometimes the strangest things and selling your home is not a strange thing. I mean, that's kind of the core of of who we are, you know, when we've lived there that long. Um, I did want to ask you because one of my fears when you said, well, we just slept on the roadside. Were you scared that, you know, you might get hit by a car or somebody might come by and do something or your dad would just wander off when you were sleeping? I mean, those Three things all hit me right away. Going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh!
3: Yeah, <laughs> I can't even yeah. Imagine. I mean, so just so, so again for, for, for context, <laughs> um, we uh, we uh, our, our sleeping accommodations were everything from um, on two occasions, um, which included a, a celebration uh, um, the the last night when we were in Astoria, Oregon, but then in in Yellowstone, where per are the condition that I outlined, which is the temperature if the temperature is going to be low. Um, mm-hmm. We've got to stay in a motel. Well, in Yellowstone, you're limited to basically one option. <laughs> so there was a very <laughs> we know, we we, we we splurged and blew like basically the whole budget, you know, <laughs> on on um uh because uh, we couldn't camp there because it was going to be too cold. And um, so we did everything from a high end motel to um, just really simple um, kind of mm-hmm. a, almost like trucker motels um, uh, to churches opened their doors. Um, for cyclists, um, in many places. Um, there's an outfit called warm showers where people volunteer to host cyclists. So we stayed in a few private homes, um, and then some campgrounds. And then on two occasions, uh, at least two occasions on one case, we, uh, we literally camped behind a gas station on one, uh, we camped next to a fire station. Uh, and on another case, our first night in Oregon, we actually did, it was just kind of, uh, Fifteen feet off of the uh, the highway, there, um, just in the middle of nowhere, because that was that's what we had, and mm-hmm. uh, and so to answer your question, I, I had a I I wasn't uh, you know the the first week I was concerned about Merv wandering off. After that, I kind of had a sense of okay, I I was tracking his movement. I wasn't wasn't concerned. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't concerned about you know any other random acts of violence or anything like uh-huh. that against us. Um, so no, that, that 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 wasn't a a concern.
0: Okay, well that's good. I, you know, and part of that I pro, I, I would imagine is just coming out of the world we live in today. I mean, you just hear you know weird story after weird story, you, you know, with things from you know losing control of a vehicle to um, intentional. Yeah
3: you know, kind of madness, you know, and so I think on that note, it's, it's actually important to um, just kind of counter that with, mm-hmm. it's amazing how many people, you know, how uh, all across this country, how many kind people, generous people there are that are willing to help you out in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, that, yep. and that, 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 that's reserved for the final 30 seconds of the newscast. Right. And And yep. the reality is, we we had that was most of our experience not negatives
0: wow and, and i think that that is so true and it's uh you know it's kind of squashed down because it it um it doesn't get the ratings I, and i think it would get the ratings if they did it more i think people really like the good news um and not all the horrific stuff that's out there it kind of slides me into my next question about what did you learn about america as you as you guys traveled the country
3: yeah you know I think um you know the first thing we had are just echoing or repeating what I just said, which is America is full of um you know uh, very well intended, kind, generous people um you know who are um, uh, uh, who are uh, helpful and will and and want to try to help. I think that's number one um, you you see an incredible diversity. Um, And, you know, most of this was in rural America and even rural America, you just get you get a range of industries. I mean, we talked with everyone from coal miners to farmers to entrepreneurs to to people walking across this country to immigrants, to illegal immigrants, to I mean, there's just this incredible range of folks and 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 the the perspectives um, uh, that they have. And then and then you, um, you know, when you start talking with these folks, it's amazing to hear all of their uh, dreams and disappointments. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you pedal a bike, unlike a car, um, and you're there with just your two wheels and nothing kind of, no walls, glass, steel protecting you, uh, it's amazing how people come up uh, curious. And what often starts with a, oh, hey, you know, where are you guys headed Or, or where are you coming from? uh, yeah, it quickly leads to longer conversation. And if you, and, and pretty quickly, if you flip it around and start listening, they start sharing all their, you know, what, where, 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 where they're from their background. And so often they jump into those like, Oh, I've always dreamed of this or, Oh, one of the best things I ever did was that. Um, and so it's, it's just a reminder of those are things that light people up, you know, dreams. Mm-hmm. uh, whether it's something they're dreaming about or something that they uh, that they did, and um, and I you know I think that's just a reminder. And then you learn about tragedies. People share, tra- mm-hmm. oh, I wanted it, but then this happened, and so you know that's part of life. And so I think it's just a reminder to all of us of uh, like, okay, if there are some dreams, let's get out there and pursue them because tomorrow is <laughs> not guaranteed for any-
0: if that's the truth that is that is very yeah. true i and you know i think these stories like yours are, are so inspiring it's so out of the box and you know you're taking uh, taking the risks um that so many people are just afraid to or they've been told they can't do and they've listened to those voices instead of saying you know we're going to try it if it doesn't work we'll adjust but you know we're going for it yeah nothing nothing to lose here uh and, and yeah. really every everything to gain, um, especially with yeah, your I relationship.
3: That, yeah, I you know, I think you just said something that's so important that that, that, that the can't. And mm-hmm. what I found was just from that kind of initial diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment, everything, every conversation with MERV, with friends, with family, it all became focused on the can'ts and the you know, the the can'ts. What yep. can't oh we can't do this, we can't do that. And and I think anyone with any sort of disability goes through this, right? People focus yep. on what they can't do.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: uh and Alzheimer's is no so different. It's a disability that increases, and so the no's and the can'ts just increase. And yeah. um and so amidst that growing sea of no's and can'ts, we made a bold decision to say Okay, yeah, he can't do this. He can't do that. He can't do this. He can't do that. I I get it, but you know what? He just biked 15 miles here, and he was totally fine, smiling. Oh, boy! What would happen if he has a good sherpa, someone guiding him? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and you know what? If we can just string, let's say, you know, four times, whatever, you know, a couple hundred of these together, 15 milers together, it's like he might actually be able to pull this off, and because that's what he can do. Mm-hmm. And and he did. I mean, it's 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 amazing. You know, and just one other uh, note on that: as we drove down from Dulles Airport down to Yorktown, Virginia, there, um, kind of day zero, right before we started, um, it was with Merv and my aunt drove us down, and we were speaking with Merv in the car, and he was he was talking, and he was saying, you know, he's like, oh, I feel I've got this vice around my 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 head, and he was pointing to his kind of temples. And he's like, I remember my, my, my dad saying that, talking about that and I have this now around my head and, and I get kind of this tightness in my chest. And um and so I made a point then of asking Merv on every day of the journey, hey, how, how's your head feeling? And how's your chest feeling? Those two things that he would complain about he never had an issue with those the seventy three days we were cycling.
0: Mm. Just not interesting. that interesting. Yeah, was really,
3: so I you know really there's so I, I, I think so we're I think we're so far behind right now still on kind of connecting the body mind soul you know all that we're starting to connect all that but but you know not a not a pill it's you no know, he by by for whatever you know biking all day plenty of other challenges we were facing but biking all day in the outdoors he never talked about that vice around his head
0: and Well then you the,
3: think that of- the, the
0: well, you think of the the purpose he felt and the the stimulation he was getting too, you know, preoccupies a lot of that stuff. I mean, most of us will admit to ourselves, it's not to others that, you know, when we're just laying around and not doing much, it's really easy to focus kind of on what's not right and what our pain levels yeah. are. But, but when we're busy, yeah. it takes our mind off of those things. And, you know, that's yeah. a perfect example of that. Absolutely. Perfect example. The other thing I wanted to make a comment on, you talked about the, the, um, the can'ts and the don'ts that all turn into, no, we won't, we won't do that. Um, And, and yet you went in with the what if, you know, and the what if is two sided. The what, what if we can do this? You know, what if, what if Murph can do this? And, and what if he can't? Well, then we'll adapt. I mean, it's just, it's a real simple thing, but to take away the possibility of the what what can we do um, is just, it's so sad to me. And it's a stigma that, you know, to me is one of the biggest priorities that needs to change. And, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful thing to watch people blossom. And and yet yeah. there there are still a lot of people in the world that can't be happy for someone else um, succeeding yep. in a goal, no you know dementia or not. I mean that's just not their style. <laughs> it's not their thing because it's you know what about them? And and yet I, you know I just get such great joy being able to celebrate you know what someone else has succeeded in. I, I just think that that is so cool and. And not only what they've succeeded in, but then you you look at, you know, that ripple effect of all the other people that you're giving hope to and that are now yep. questioning what they can't do or what they don't do or what they wouldn't do before. And they're saying, what if? What if? Let's, yeah. Try, yeah. let's try this. That, to me, is so powerful and it's such a beautiful you know in your book it's such a beautiful way to tell it through stories if it's you know an interview like this or on TV or, or through print with your book or an article I mean those things are so empowering and I think people are really hungry for the possibilities of good things in their life um,
1: yeah.
0: and and I, yeah. can, I can't imagine I mean I didn't do anything this with my own mom but I can't imagine the the legacy memory that 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 would leave with you as an individual along with the rest of the family and friends and even even the hometown um I would think probably lifted your dad up too when you when you landed back um after your trip was that was that something that got publicity for you um when you when
3: yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess so sort cool. of just, I guess yeah, so well to back up to your what ifs, which I think is such a good um point, and the what ifs is 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 both possibility and failure, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. look exploring both of them and the willingness to um undertake and put in action um when there's a what if uh scenario. And are on that I referenced earlier on day ten when we were in Vesuvius, Virginia after the cold, where it was like, you know what, we uh, I don't know. This might be too much. And so that's where we caught, you know, I I caught myself um, suddenly uh, focused on the, oh, we're not doing the, you know, we're not, we're not getting this many miles per day. We're not, oh my God. And I was suddenly, I found myself focused on the, oh, the cans that what we're not doing. Mm -hmm. And so I had to catch myself and, 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 and stop and say, well, wait a minute, well, what can we do? And so, you know, we made that adjustment um, in terms of the temperature, um, and then, you know, we made a, a couple other minor adjustments. And then most importantly, we just changed. We said, you know, at one point, Merv said, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I think you should go on, on, you know, you should go on by yourself. And I was like, no, that, that, that's not the point of this. Yeah. And we realized, you know what, we've got X number of days. We'll bike as far as we can. And if that yeah. gets us two more states, that's good. That's amazing. If it gets us four states, even better. If it gets us six states, even better. Um, but we had to be willing to just do what we could. And and so that took a lot of the pressure off.
1: And mm-hmm. then, sure enough,
3: you know, we went all the way. But but that reframing, because it e- it's it's easy to get focused on, again, what we're not doing, what we can't say. Well, wait a minute. You don't have to – everyone doesn't have to bike across the country. Can they bike, you know, <laughs> five miles? That might be the yeah. best victory for someone. Yep, and uh, yep. and then per, per your, um, you know, your comment on uh, the, the, the kind of the hometown uh, pride, any sort of, you know, I think so many experiences, uh, yeah, you, there's two ways to think about the value of those experiences. There's the real time enjoyment or um, less than the achievement, whatever that is. But once you've done that, there's residual value for the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you talked about kind of legacy. And so here was a case where um Merv, once he got back, um, and Merv was is like the, the humble was the humblest guy, you know, super uh humble, uh, the the epitome of humility and never one to puff his chest. But when he got back and kind of word spread and, and at the first the kind of independent living center and then he was in assisted living, then he was in memory care, but everywhere he went Word would travel that this was the guy that had biked across the country.
1: Mm -hmm. And
3: people would come up and say, hey, aren't you the one? And you would see Merv glow. And so for four years, you know, his last four years, he just had this wonderful residual value of that journey. It was not only Mm -hmm. the, the memories, but it was like it just continued to pay dividends. And I thought that was awesome.
0: Yeah, and not, not just to himself, but like you said, to so many others. The other thing I, I want to just um mention too, when you you talked about the possibility and the failure. For me, a dementia, and it sounds like you've learned this as well, but it taught me to kick perfection um perfection and failure both to the curb. They weren't in my vocabulary yeah. anymore and they still aren't because <laughs> yeah. perfection makes us stall out or quit or, you know, and, uh, and it, it makes us judge ourselves and others when there's so many different ways to be able to get something done and still, still yep. feel valued and good about it. And, you know, that, that whole thing about failing, it's just like, no, we, we need to live this life in a fluid fashion that meets our needs. that meets the moments. And why in the world would we, you know, smush that to the ground and not think that that's valuable, you know, to, to yeah. meet the needs and meet the moment. I, I just, I don't understand that. And I see so many people um kind of get, Kind of just get wrapped up in that whole thing, and creativity goes out the window, and it's no it yep. you must be a bed in a box you know or a bed in a bag yep. you know it has to be done like this, and you have to do you have to go one two, three, four, no skipping around it's gotta be in yep. this yeah. order and in this time frame you know or yeah. or be damned you all you know, and it's like no that's that's not life. That that's not how we live our everyday life, and yet yeah. we we don't um we don't appreciate what being spontaneous and what being fluid and what really recognizing what the needs are in the moment, you know how valuable yeah. that is. I, I just think that yeah. those are such critical points that you that you brought up, and um, I, well, I really appreciate. I, I love that. your
3: choice of the word. I love your choice of the word moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you ever, one of the best, best um, books that I read um, through all this was Moments of Joy by Joy Bracke.
0: Oh, um, yeah. And I just love
3: that. And and, uh, and so, you know, as I, during these kind of the last four years from the bike journey on, uh, for me, it was all, and this I just think is such good advice for anyone, any caregivers, anyone, anyone going through this with, uh, you know, family, friends, dealing with Alzheimer's. It's finding those moments of joy. And mm-hmm. really your key currency is smiles. Are they smiling? And yep. it doesn't matter what, if they're smiling, that's, you don't need words. A smile communicates so much more than anything else. And yep. so I became kind of this, huh, is dad smiling? You know what? And that, like, it doesn't matter. Oh, well, no, we got to do it this way. It doesn't matter. He's smiling. That's what I want. And then, you know, the second you talk about fluidity, which I think is a great word, um, I, I thought of it really, you know, and, and it, it, it became even more uh, the further along we went. But it was there. I I had to uh, do this dance between rationality and make believe mm-hmm. and give you a practical example, something we go, we visit uh, my dad, he comes out in the lobby and he has some uh, there's some, you know, lobby coffee there. And he says, oh, oh my God, this is. This coffee's so good. It's great. And then, you know, uh, a a friend or a family member says, "Well, you know, this is you know, you can get this anytime, right? Like it's always mm-hmm. here." It, it, and 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 our instinct is, you "No, know, you can come out whenever you want." And, and and I I did that myself the first few times, and then after a while it was just simply a pause, a smile back, and, "Yeah, this really is the best coffee, isn't it?" And you just yeah. and you just enjoy that and 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 it's a magical moment
0: well it's about simplicity and you know another thing I think the disease taught me was how to play again because you said you know you're doing this dance between your reality and their reality and so often when you when you step into theirs you know all the complications just melt away and it just gets down like you said to that moment of appreciating something and so yeah. often in life, we are so busy and so fast paced. You know, we've been told since we were little to, you know, slow down and, and smell the roses, but most people don't do that. And I yeah, was on, a, that's right. I, I was on yeah. a meeting last night and it was a meditation and somebody had channeled, um, and I don't think I'll get this exactly right. I don't have it in front of me, but I thought it was beautiful. And what was channeled to them was um, find find your space where there is no time because time is such a pressure cooker for us and just find that yeah. silence, find that quiet, find that peacefulness. And I just thought, Oh, that was, to me, it just brought me a lot of comfort and saying it's okay to be still. And I don't know if you know, Harry urban, he's out in Pennsylvania. He's been living with uh, dementia for oh gosh, 15 years now. And one of the things that he says that I think care partners can't hear enough of was, you know, I like to relax before I got dementia. I still do. You do not have to keep me busy just because it makes you feel better. Sit on the bench next to me, feel the breeze on your face, smell the flowers, feel the sun, you know, and just be at peace within this big world in which we live. And yeah. so so often we, we we just blow that stuff past us and don't appreciate how important those moments are until maybe we've lost a loved one. And we think of, gosh, yep. you know, it was, it was kind of nice just to sit on the couch and hold hands or in complete silence, but just feel safe and content. And there really isn't anything better yeah. than that, you know, in my opinion. Yeah.
3: Yep. Those are beautiful moments of this beautiful, simple.
0: Well, and, you you know, you mentioned about paying attention to the smile, but it's uh, the twinkle in the eyes or the dimples or the light giggle or just a gesture that they did. You know, I think we have to learn uh, to pay attention to multisensory connections. I I think we take them for granted. And when someone is diagnosed, especially with dementia, It seems to me, and tell me if you agree with this or not, but it seems to me most people put pressure on, speak a sentence to me, call my name. I mean, we're so, like, hell-bent on use the right words to communicate. But yet when we're out in a store or, you know, we are playing with a grandchild, you know, we're picking up on all of those multisensory things. But people just get, you know, it's like how they weigh how someone is doing and they limit the communication which then yeah. you know gives angst to everybody with that yeah uh, did you feel that as well that that people kind of you know up the ante on proper words and sentencing and you know time frames being used versus really how's someone feeling
3: yeah uh yeah you know um you know, I, I, I certainly would see, um, I mean, again, on these 73 days, I would see um, uh, Merv's frustration in trying to communicate where he just couldn't find the words. And, mm-hmm. um, but I was, and on, on, in particular on this journey, I was really impressed um, with how patient other folks were. And I think, again, maybe that's different when you've got a cyclist versus mm-hmm. you're in town. Um, you know, because I, I, I agree that, I mean, we're an impatient society to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, now we're 148 characters or whatever, whatever we are. <laughs> and, uh, but, but on, but on a positive, I was really impressed with how, um, you know, even in Virginia, uh, it was like maybe day, day three before we got into Charlottesville, um, we were pulling up and we stopped and we asked this gentleman, uh name was Overton McGee, that's his, his name, this great Virginian name. And uh like an eighth generation Virginian and asked him about um a restaurant recommendation in the next town up and he said, Hey, I'm sorry to tell you that it's been you know it's been closed down um for the last year or whatever, but hey, you're more than welcome to join my daughter and I for lunch. Uh oh. for lunch. And and so we go in and it turns out that he has this whole legal background that my dad had and so even though my dad was having halting conversation, there was just this wonderful connection um, because they you know, knew certain people in common and uh, had, had run a similar path. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's just a reminder of let's let's focus on what we can do instead of what we can't. Right
0: Now we only have about six minutes left, but I want to ask you two more questions. One, if you can kind sure. of summarize for anyone who's thinking of doing something similar, and it might not be biking, it might be another hobby or adventure, um, and then also just general advice that you have for, for people as a whole who are, are uh, dealing with dementia.
3: Yeah. Um, so I guess just, you know, anyone undertaking, uh, you know, a big adventure, I think, uh, um, it, I think the first, for, and I'm glad you said, you know, by, like for, for us, I guess the, 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 the call to action really is, you know, seize the day, whatever that means to you with someone you love. And mm-hmm. maybe that's it, could be a bike, it could be a journey, could be might be, you know, gardening, it might be something else. But mm-hmm. whatever it is that you've dreamed of doing with that loved one go out and do it. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I think from a, uh, execution standpoint, it's okay. Well, uh, break that down into small steps. So mm-hmm. literally for us, while we had this big vision, you know, there was kind of uh, some basic preparation that we did. Um, mm-hmm. and what I find is for me, this is a personal taste. Um, you know, you can prepare as much as you want, um, <laughs> And I I and some people over prepare and then there's no spontaneity. There's no oh hey someone invited us in for lunch. No we can't go because we've got to be there by you know this is, and and so I I found that kind of a seventy to eighty percent preparation for adventure makes sure that we we don't die we don't get seriously injured but there's a lot of flexibility to what we're doing and I absolutely needed flexibility on this trip so um, mm-hmm. so that was good. I think anyone undertaking any sort of adventure it's like um uh, break it down into small steps and then be flexible on how yeah. you and adapt as you go, whatever that is again, it could be a gardening project could be you know, there, there's just limitless possibilities um uh, uh so yeah that i I guess that would be the thing about uh an adventure and then um on uh, just general advice for folks, you know we touched on a couple of things I mentioned just uh um you know the, the moments of joy currency of smiles i think that's a, a, a for folks dealing with alzheimer's a dance between rationality and make-believe you if you're rigid and not willing to make that dance it's going to be tough um and you can actually have fun with it the way you might with as a nine-year-old playing if you are willing to be fluid and do that dance um you know third point i think would be Connect with other people, other caregivers, other folks going through this. That was it was huge for me me to be able to talk with some friends that were either a little further along or a couple steps behind. Um, Just more than anything, uh, besides, but also just some laughs at the craziness of it, Um, and I think that's so healthy. And then uh, the you know one of the most I talked about this kind of these tough conversations that I had in Idaho and Oregon with my dad. I found the book, uh, Being Mortal, by Atul Gawande incredibly helpful. Um, Uh And in particular, which which is really about how societies look at the last quarter of life. Uh, But within that, um, there were these four questions that um, when I used those in conversation, it opened up um, uh, our conversation so much more. And at the end... Merv basically said, "Hey, that's one of the best conversations we've had in a long time. Thank you." And and uh, and those were were basically, you know, what's your understanding of where you are with your health? And let Mm -hmm. him talk. And then, what are your concerns? Let him talk. What are your hopes? Let him talk. And then, what would a good day look like? Let him talk. And, uh, you know, so often we're, oh, but you got to do do, that. And so for me to ask literally those four questions and then shut my mouth and let him talk and a couple little follow up questions, but really let him talk. um, That totally changed his kind of uh, his state of being and uh, and very powerful
0: well you know we're not a good society of listeners and we're always
3: correcting or we're
0: thinking what are we going to say what are we going to say back and yet all of us love validation we love being heard not just listened to but really heard and allowed to to speak our thoughts where where we're not being manipulated because someone else is saying something else, and uh, I, I think that that's uh, wonderful advice uh, to give people is, you know, ask an open-ended question and and let them let them speak whatever is on their mind. I do want to make sure that uh, people know that they can go to Amazon, and uh, you know, plug in either your name or the book uh, "Conversations Across America." uh Alzheimer's TransAmerica uh ebook you've got as well. So, uh you know, this has just been a wonderful conversation. Kari, I really appreciate your time and you sharing your story with us all here. So, thank you so much.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Lori.
0: Wonderful. For our listeners, I hope you like click and share this story. Uh give people hope of what is possible and don't think about what you can't do. But think about and focus on the what if, especially when you kick perfection and uh, failure to the curb. You can always adapt. That's what life is about. Thanks, everyone. Till next time. Bye-bye.